Well, it's me, James Henry, again, pastor at St. James. I think I forgot to tell you that in case you were tuning in with us before. I'm still the same person, just uh, I didn't tell you the first time. Uh, in an all-streaming world, it's important. So when I was growing up and coming to faith in my life, and it was a long process for me, uh, it was... Uh, you know, I, I talk to people and sometimes they tell me it was all like lightning bolt and they jumped from one side of knowing God to the other side, from unknowing to knowing. Uh, and for those people, I'm, I'm really kind of glad that they had that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of jump, kind of a, but it's not the only model of the way that that works uh, in any case. But I was taught as I grew up that the most important thing I could ever do was believe. And I'm here to tell you right now that I don't think it's the most important thing you should do. The most important thing you should do is love. And I'm going to tell you why as we read from uh, this story in the Gospel of John. It's the second appearance story in the Gospel of John to the disciples. And it begins, chap there we go. chapter 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, that is the first day of the week, what we would call last Sunday, Easter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. So, it's the evening of that first day. It's the evening after Mary has already seen uh, the resurrection, met Jesus in the garden. And the disciples are hiding out for fear of the religious leaders. It says Jews, but it's really the religious leaders who might find them. Do you know anything about hiding in fear of unknown lurkings outside your door? These days, it seems like we know a heck of a lot about that kind of thing. But we have to ask the question about the disciples, why are they hiding in fear of anyone? Because in verse 17, Mary has already announced to them that she has seen the Lord. And we're told even earlier in that story that after Peter and John had raced to the tomb, Peter went away, noticing that the tomb was empty, but it said that John saw and believed, or whoever the beloved disciple is, saw and believed. What did he believe? That the tomb was empty? I mean, clearly, uh, otherwise... Why are you hanging out in fear? Why fear? All right, so we've got the disciples behind locked doors. 
And something you need to know about the Gospel of John that's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Gospel of John is this. If John is speaking about the 12 core disciples, John calls them the 12. Otherwise, when he refers to the disciples, he's talking about anybody who followed Jesus. So we don't know who's in this locked room, but we suspect it's not just what we would call the apostles. It's the earliest understanding of a small house church. Men, women, perhaps children gathered for fear of what might happen to any or all of them in this situation, these disciples. And so behind those locked doors, Jesus makes an appearance and says, hi. You, you think peace be with you, you know, if you've ever encountered someone uh, from the Middle East, uh, especially our, you know, Islamic sisters and brothers, peace be upon you is their greeting. I mean, it's in Arabic when they say it to you, but that's what it means, peace be upon you. This is a common greeting in Jesus' time. Hi, peace be with you. Same thing. Peace be with you. And then he shows the disciples his hands and his side. He shows them the wounds. Now, I have to tell you, for 56 years of my life, that was not a significant reality. It didn't seem all that significant that he showed them the wounds. And yet, here is the resurrected Jesus, and he still bears the scars of the crucifixion. They didn't go away magically. For the longest time uh, growing up, I always imagined that healing, uh, intriguingly enough in the New Testament, healing is really a, the same word we use for salvation. Being saved and being healed are essentially the same thing uh, from a New Testament perspective. But uh, healing was complete recovery. He's got scars. He's still got the wounds. How can you be resurrected and crucified at the same time? How can you bear those scars? In that is, and, and Richard Rohr brought this to my attention, perhaps one of the most powerful witnesses to this resurrection story. And that is all of us can be given healing and new life and still bear the scars and vulnerabilities of the brokenness before we said yes. Those scars don't magically disappear. They don't go away just because you've said yes to believing or yes to loving. You still bear those scars. That woundedness may be carried with you for the rest of your life. Long after Paul had come to faith, after his encounter on the Damascus Road, he is begging God to take away whatever the thorn in his side is, whatever that is scarring him, whatever is scarring him, he wants it to go away. But apparently that wasn't God's will. Wouldn't it be nice if all the scars of our childhood, all the ways that we hide from ourselves, the scars of our own fears and anxieties, uncertainties, could just magically go away because we had faith, because we had love. But God loves us in our woundedness. In the same way that Jesus found new life in his woundedness, 
God offers us new life in our woundedness. And the wounds don't magically go away. The wounds become a loved part of us. Both the wounds and the healing are part of who we are. Who made you what you are today? What made you and the experiences that you have had in your lifetime don't get to be the final words that name you love does. Love, we've said this before. I've said this before. Love is the final word about who you are. And yet you still carry the wounds. And at times like these, they carry the heaviest. For those of you who are isolated and feeling alone, this feels like yet another way that exacerbates the woundedness that you have felt in your life. And mental illness can rise in this time. Any kind of mental struggles, anxiety becomes depression. It can. Because of that sense, it just exacerbates the challenge of being by yourself, separate. But there is nothing less than love that can name you wherever you are. So the disciples hiding in a locked room, high, Jesus says, and then shows them the wounds. And when they saw the wounds, they knew and they rejoiced and saw that he was the Lord. Now what's interesting is the word for Lord is the same word that's used for God's name. So suddenly the disciples catch a glimpse. This isn't just this Jesus guy. This is Jesus the Christ. The one who makes human for us an image of the eternal so that we might see in him a way that we can follow in this eternal God. Now, after that, he says to them a second time, only this time I think it has a deeper meaning than high. Peace be with you. Because suddenly now they know who he is. When you greet somebody, you say hi. Oh, hi. The second time, Jesus is fulfilling a promise that he makes to them. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, that I give to you. He fulfills that promise because now they know Jesus is Lord, is resurrected, is here among them, still bears the wounds and scars. It is Jesus, the same one who is the Lord, who is the Christ, the eternal one, and he's with them. Behind locked doors, he's with them. In their fear, he is with them. In your anxiety, he is with you. Wherever we are, sometimes even when we can't feel it, there he is. There he is. In this hidden space. The place where our fear goes to dwell. And he's there with us in that space. Peace be with you. That which I promised you is yours, this peace. And the peace comes from the presence. Then he says to them, 
As the Father sent me, so I said to you. This is your mission. This is your mission. Now, the Father sent Jesus into the world for what purpose? Now, we all have differences. I've heard lots of different answers to this question. You know, was he born just to die? You know, was that his whole purpose? Why, you know, what about his whole life? Why did he even have to live a life? You know, all of those kinds of things. You know, what was he sent into the world to do? So that we might see what God is like in him. What does it look like to love without bounds, even those who nail you to a cross? What does it take? Because that's what God's got. That's what God's got is an infinite love for you. But prior to that, maybe we didn't know that. So we're sent into the world. Our mission as the church is to carry on this loving thing. That's our whole purpose. To make visible in the world the love of Jesus. It's not to decide who's right or wrong, who's good or bad. That's not your job. And if somebody told you it is, they lied to you. <laughs> That's God's job. God is the final arbiter of all those things. So stop trying to take God's job. You've got enough of a job just being you. Because most of us are somebody other than us, but that's a side issue sometimes. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And what makes the presence of Christ go on in the world is not that Jesus could appear behind locked doors, but that the church loves one another and God and the world that God loves. That's our mission. And you say, okay, great, James, this is really nice. I love this, this is beautiful. Once again, nice esoteric message leaves me to do whatever I want to with my life. You know, I just have to envision, what does it look like to be love in the world? I'll just have some warm, fuzzy feelings and draw pictures of flowers and it'll be all good. You know, and I'm not saying, hey, drawing pictures of flowers isn't a good thing, especially when you're locked up and you can't get out. You know, draw some flowers, good, draw some flowers. However, there are practical ways that you can show love. And I want to offer to you the first two rules, general rules, of the United Methodist Church. See, I drew United Methodism in right in there. First, do no harm. What are some ways you can do no harm? Well, first of all, if you don't need to go out, don't go out. If you don't need to go out, don't go out. And if you do need to go out, wash your hands. I read this wonderful article that people think they're protected because they go out into the world with gloves on. They leave their house with gloves on. They wear the same gloves to the store, into their car, holding their keys, holding their phone. They go into the store. They buy what they're going to buy, touch everything they're going to buy, get back in the car, having touched everything, put it, go home, same pair of gloves, open their front door, check their phone, Contamination, contamination, contamination. The most loving thing you can do is maybe not wear gloves and wash your hands for 20 seconds at a time. Do you know what happens when you go in the hospital? They take the gloves off. I come into your room, I touch you. After I put my gloves on, 
I take those gloves off, throw them away before I leave your room. I go out of the room, wash my hands, go into the next room, and put on a new set of gloves. It's the only way you don't get contaminated. So maybe the most loving thing you can do is wash your hands more and be careful about all the contamination you're carrying around with you. Don't go out if you don't have to. Now, I'm not talking about a walk in your room, but don't just go into large gatherings of people right now. Perhaps doing no harm means keeping your germs to yourself. Keeping your germs to yourself. Do no harm by not thinking and focusing only on your woundedness without the love that counterbalances it and holds you in the midst of it. For many of us stuck at home, we stew about the things that bother us about ourselves and about the world in which we live. That's harm, especially if we let it bubble up and make us think we're not worthy and we're not okay and that God doesn't love us because that's not true. God does. You don't need to do harm. Uh, if, if you want to look at pretty pictures on the internet or on Facebook or whatever, fine. I would say it's doing harm to uh, pass on information that may or may not be true. Double check everything that you decide you're going to post to your Facebook page. If it's not true, you don't need to be passing it on. That's doing harm. And if somebody passes on something you don't like, let it go. If they post something you're not fond of, let it go. Because it's harmful to say ugly things, even on Facebook. So do no harm. Second of all, do all the good you can. That's the second rule. Do no harm, do all the good you can. And all the good you can might be, if you're in a good enough position, donating to an organization that's making a difference in your community. It might be going to the grocery store for your neighbor and buying the things that they need and leaving them at the front door carefully so that they can get them and bring them in. You can do lots of good in the world. It's by saying a loving word to a neighbor. It's by calling someone you care about that you haven't talked to. And doing it now, don't put it off. Doing good is taking a break when work is getting to you if you work from home. Because guess what? Your work hours aren't 24 seven because you happen to be at your office all the time now. Your, your, your work hours aren't 24 seven. I don't care what your boss told you. And if you need to breathe and take a break, do it. That's doing good. You see, that's a loving response in a broken world. A loving response is seeking in every way you can to carefully not do harm and to do all the good you can and to love your neighbors in the way that you live and the words that you say. We can practice love. You and I can practice love. It looks real. It's an action. It can be a warm, fuzzy feeling too. But don't let it stop there. Jesus kept practicing and he gave us a new beginning because what's interesting for the Gospel of John that didn't happen in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is there's no, the Lucan story has a 50 days until Pentecost. Gospel of John all happens at once. 
Resurrection, what's the next thing he does after he says, as the Father sends me, so I send you? He breathes on them. Do you know how often that word breathe is used in the New Testament? Once, here. Do you know what it alludes to? Read Genesis chapter 3, when God shaped some clay and breathed life in creation. In particular, a human being. He breathed new life, new love into us that's meant to be taken out there in one way or another. You may be stuck at home. That doesn't stop you from writing a note, sending an email, making a call, checking on people you know, people you don't know, via phone. That's the way to love. And if you're in good enough shape and you're willing to volunteer, there are a lot of organizations that need your help. Alive. If you go to Volunteer Alexandria and sign up there, you can find out all the opportunities that are available in the city of Alexandria. But Alive, Alexandrians Involved Ecumenically, is the one that provides us part of the food that we give to people who come to the West End Food Pantry. So you can volunteer and help them pack things. You can help them pack things because they give away to thousands of people on last Saturday of every month. You can make a difference in that way. These are all ways that you can literally show the love of God to others. It's my loving one another in the midst of your woundedness. And sometimes it's by reaching out in love when you're feeling most vulnerable and wounded that helps you get past that. Now, one word. If you're feeling overwhelmed, depressed, if it has stopped you from being able to function, reach out to someone. Please. There are telephone and other kinds of possibilities, telemedicine, that you can make connections with someone who will listen to you when you feel overwhelmed. The Easter story has a practical meaning. It's not just what you do here. It's what you do from here. It's loving. Love is the sign that makes us a church. And once love is gone, we're not the church anyway. Just some people who sing some cool songs and uh, stream it onto the internet. Because love is why we do it all. Are we ought not to do any of it? So practice love. Do no harm and do all the good you can from where you are safely.